Another episode of Moped Outlaws. In fact, it's episode 52. Yeah. Year of production. Not quite one year on the calendar. Because, of course, at the beginning, we created a little bit of a buffer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we're here with special guest Anne Hintz. Did I pronounce the last name right? You did. Yeah. All right. Hi. It's fun to be here. Where are you, Anne? I'm in Northern California. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so are you. Yes. <laughs> we have a heat wave going on. Yeah, it's pretty warm here, too. Yeah. I heard it was 108 in Las Vegas at 9 o'clock this morning. So I guess we could be grateful that we're not in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, for a bunch of reasons. Yes. <laughs> All right. And if we dive in and what little I know of your story is that at a very young age, you had skeletal things going on that affected your health, but you and anyone else was unaware of it. And in your late forties, you started. It was late thirties. Yeah. It's a while ago now. Okay. Yeah, we're old <laughs> and in the way. Um, you started looking at your emotional state and its relationship to your physical body. Is that? Okay, no, that's not quite how I would put it. Because I, I would say all the physical changes are a result of working with the emotions and the memories and the trauma just happened to change the physical state as well, which allowed me to realize that it's totally connected. Okay. So like, again, I did not delve deep because I wanted this episode to be our exploration for Mark and I, but I kind of recall you saying you were doing dishes and you're part <laughs> of a family, we should say. So like that may come up that you have children and a partner in your life. And so you're doing dishes and you are noticing your emotional state. Is that... <laughs> would you like me to tell some of the story because that's step two of oh really yeah okay yeah, yeah let's start with like the seed the germination where they're starting to spark a realization of something going on how about okay. this how did you end up on this journey Anne? How did I end up on the journey? Well, I could start where I started the journey, which was my late 30s, but it was all the stuff that had happened leading up to that, right? I actually believe the more trauma we have in our life, the greater our capacity for spiritual growth. It doesn't mean that we're going to do that. We're going to do that growth, but we have the capacity. So I did have a lot of trauma in childhood, just like a lot of us. I was actually born with my right foot up against my right shin. So the first six weeks of my life was physical therapy, and then I was given over for adoption. I was handed over to a family 
that had just suffered a trauma because they had a boy that they had adopted and then they adopted a little girl and they had her for six months. But at the time in England, and I don't know if it's changed now, but you could, the birth mother could change her mind up to six months. And at six months, that birth mother changed her mind and they had to give that little girl back after raising her for six months. And I was the replacement. I was the replacement into the family for that little girl. They brought Anne off the bench. So obviously they would be a little concerned that maybe my birth mother was going to do the same thing. So right, the connection, they wouldn't have connected quite as well as they maybe could have done with the first little girl. And, but my mother didn't change her mind. And so at six months, they waited till six months, to make sure she wasn't going to change her mind. And then my dad was in a company that traveled around the world. So we moved to Barbados first. Then we moved to Sierra Leone in West Africa. And while we were there, there was a house fire and I woke up and saw the flames coming in through my bedroom wall. So that was kind of a trauma too. And then say that again. How old were you? I was about three at that time. And that's one of your earliest childhood memories. Yes. Yes. Actually before I woke up, it was like I was, I had my eyes closed and I was trying to work out what that licking noise was that I was hearing (laughs) and then opened my eyes. Oh, it's flames. Wow. Yeah. And then we moved from there, we moved to Hong Kong. And when we were in Hong Kong, I was sent to boarding school in England. And I was sent to my brother's boarding school, which was a boys boarding school. So I was the first girl boarder at a boys boarding school. And I was teased mercilessly for two years. So that was not a good thing. And my dad already had anger issues. So I was very used to walking on eggshells. And they both became alcoholics in my teenage years. So, you know, life was pretty stressful. Did they remain in China while you went to boarding school in England? They remained in Hong Kong. Yeah, it was independent at that point. Um, Yes. Yes. So it was halfway across the world. It was an 18-hour flight with just my brother and I. Yes. That's crazy. So it's kind of like they, um, what do you say, like coupling or, you know, that parent bond with a child wasn't a real important aspect of their life. No. And yeah, I've always thought it's kind of interesting why you would adopt children and then send them away. But I also, my brother was quite a difficult child. (laughs) Maybe they just wanted some time without kids. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, then boarding school, you, you started when you were what, six or seven. I was nine when I started at boarding school and then was at boarding school for the rest of my school career. I went from the boys boarding school to a girls boarding school. (laughs) for the rest of the time. Yeah. And was that in rural England or urban England? It was rural. Yeah. So I mean, it's a gorgeous help? school. Did that help? Did having natural surroundings help, like help you manage your, your emotional state at all? I no. I mean, it just, what it, it was, what it was. They didn't know. Just being roommates know. with 300 other people sucked no matter what. There wasn't any mitigating of it. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't a particularly big school. So maybe a hundred boys, maybe. And there were some girl students who would come during the day and then they would leave after school. And then I would be, then I'd be the only girl for the evening. My, my dorm room was uh, sick bay. I had a room in sick bay. So you started being a healer right away. (laughs) Is that right? Um, Maybe. I was pretty stuck in my emotions for a long time. I mean, I just suppressed everything. I didn't know I didn't know there was anything you can do, right? We get programmed in those first years of our life and we continue on that way. So 
I was, you know, always told, you know, be seen. Well, actually, I was pretty much told be seen and don't be heard. Like, just just stay out of my way, right? So I was very used to just holding things back. And, you know, if, if you're crying, well, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. So, wow. Um, yeah, that's how I was programmed. So, you know, life went on. When I was 19, I woke up one morning and found my mother dead on the bathroom floor. So that was that was kind of the big trauma amongst all the smaller ones. And I just carried on with life. I didn't know there was anything else. I didn't even know therapy existed at the time. So, so were you in Hong Kong when you found her? No, we were back in England at that point. We'd actually gone to Bahrain in between as well. Um, and we we're back in England. I was actually at college at the time, but I was home for a, a period in industry. So, yeah, my dad was working in Saudi Arabia, though. So I was on my own in the house when I found her. So what you're saying is in addition to the physiological trauma, the emotional trauma of going to boarding school, you also had the trauma of your parents being international spies. <laughs> that might have been a little bit more fun. But, <laughs> but it was interesting traveling around the world, right? That was kind of fun, right? So many different cultures. We, my we mom was an Air Force brat. And so she talked about that when she was alive. She talked about how you know, moving around and, and they actually spent some time in Saudi Arabia as well. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting place for women to be. And, yeah, and even Was that when you were in your teens, when you were in Saudi Arabia? I, I never went to Saudi Arabia. We lived in Bahrain, which is in that area. And it, again, it's, um, it's not easy for women, right? You have, you have to be covered up when you go out and such. Yeah. So you went from to be seen and not heard to be completely disappeared. <laughs> Yes. This is awful. This is awful. You know, I didn't have sexual abuse. I'm very grateful for that. Right. So I just, you know, verbal and emotional and, you know, some trauma stuff. But I just suppressed it all. I just carried on with life. I actually um, had a degree in software engineering. So I moved out to Silicon Valley, which was a great place to move to. Got married, had kids. I was 21. I moved out when I graduated. So did you get a math degree? How did you land there? Well, I happened to meet my now husband when he was in England. He invited me to his leaving party because he was leaving to go to Stanford to do his master's in Stanford. So it was a long distance relationship for three years. And then I moved out when I graduated. And so so did to you jump to your late 30s, you're married and you have children. Yeah, I have two boys. And... and- you begin to get a inner realization of? Well, I actually had almost a business altercation with a couple of other mothers at school. And they were very self-confident, self-assured, authority-type women. And I was this fearful mother inside. And they told me I'd done something wrong. And my mind went out of control. It just kept spinning over and over and over what they'd said and what I'd said and what had happened. And it was like three days before I could sleep again and finally bring myself back to presence. And that's when I realized, I don't think this is normal. I don't think most people really react this intensely to something that wasn't really a big deal. And that's when I realized oh, it feels a little bit like how my dad would treat me or how I would react when my dad would say I'd done something wrong. So that was my little opening that, oh, maybe there's something from childhood that I haven't looked at that's still affecting me to this day which is kind of funny to think about because there was so much that I needed to look at, but it was just a little opening right there. Okay. So what do you start exploring? 
Well, I happened at the time to go to a doctor's appointment. I don't remember why I went, but it was nothing to do with emotions. I know that. Uh, but he recognized I was more stressed than I should be. And he asked me on a scale of zero through 10 what my stress level was. And I said eight. And then he asked me why. And it was that question that made me realize I was finding my mother when I was 19, which is now two decades earlier, because the tears were still just under the surface. So he happened to know this technique. It's called EFT, which is short for emotional freedom technique. It's also called tapping because we're just tapping on certain places in our body as we're talking through something. So he tapped with me for about 15 minutes about my mother's death. And I walked away from that appointment, being able to tell the story in my mind without the tears there anymore. And that was the first time I realized that we store those emotions and those memories physically inside of our body and that we can let them go. I had no idea that was possible. Could you say a little bit more about EFT for the folks that are listening to us and can't see us? Sure. It's a little bit like acupressure. And we're actually tapping on certain specific places in our body, which are the ends of meridian systems. So we talk through something. We, we use the words to bring the memory or the emotion or the feeling into our body. And then we tap on these specific places and that tapping itself releases the stuck energy from the nervous system. Yeah, so it's specific points. The first point's the karate chop point on the side of the hand, then the crown point on the top of the head, then the beginning of the eyebrow, the bone on the edge of the eye, the bone under the eye, on the upper lip, on the chin, on the collarbone, and under the arm where your bra strap goes across if you have one. <laughs> <laughs> My bra strap. <laughs> um, so are you, have you explored from a scientific perspective is emotional energy stored in the neurological system? I believe it's stored in the connective tissue at this point. Okay. I'm not sure what's, science is out there. I just know my experience. What really helped me at the time is the person who developed EFT, Gary Craig, was had been or was a chemical engineer. And you know, I have the engineering background, so that really helped me to actually think, okay, maybe it really does do something. But I actually went home that day and I went online, learned all about it because it was given away for free at the time. So anyone can go online and learn how to do it. And you can learn it in five to 10 minutes. It's very simple. But I wanted to check it out. I wanted to know that that one time with the doctor was not just a one time fluke. So at the time, I had a 17 year old cat at home. We'd just been told that his kidneys were starting to fail. And so he needed to have a daily saline shot. And I was going to be the one who had to give him a shot. And I hated shots. So the first time I gave him a shot, my hand was shaking so much. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it every day. So I tested out this technique. I tapped about every aspect of it. So I tapped about my hand shaking. I tapped about my fear of hurting my cat. And I tapped about all the injections I'd had, the memories of the injections, because I'd had so many because we lived all over the world. And the next day, when I gave him the shot, the needle just slid right in. All that fear that had been living inside me the day before had just gone. So that's when I realized two things. I re realized EFT is deceptively powerful. Doesn't look like it's doing a lot, but it really is. And I realized then that the freedom is on the other side of that fear. And that's where I want it to be. So that really was my incentive to start using it. And no, I knew at that point how powerful it was. So I just 
kept using it. I started using it during the day when I felt emotional about something, which in itself is not easy to do, right? Because we get caught up in our emotions. So to be able to stand back and say, oh, look at me, I'm actually getting frustrated is a step in itself. But I just kept noticing it and it got easier as the days went by and I would tap and bring myself back to peace. And I recognized that things were starting to change and I wanted more. So I wrote down every emotional memory I could think of from childhood. And I tapped through one each night for about an hour to an hour and a half each night until I'd gone through them all. And I found myself becoming less reactionary, more peaceful. And I remember opening my kitchen door one day and actually saying to myself, it feels like I'm living in a different reality because my mind, which had been so busy, right, and critical and judgmental, those voices, those thoughts were no longer there. And I I didn't even know that was possible. And it felt so, it just felt new, uncomfortable, because it, it wasn't my normal at that point. As you're experiencing this personal change, did it bring challenge to your relationship with your husband because you are changing who you are? Right. Things are coming to the surface. Yes, they do. Things come up because your awareness is expanding. So you start to become aware of the things that you were kind of hiding before, right? You didn't really want to see them and they were kind of in your subconscious, but you start to become aware of things that are going on about the the tone of voice that people are using that you hadn't picked up before and some of the words people use that you hadn't picked up before so yeah it does bring things up and but it's just part of the journey i want to ask but it's a little bit edgy so i want to ask permission (laughs) and can i ask you go ahead question Mm -hmm. so i'm recognizing that in the fascia and the connective tissue the emotional freedom tapping is, uh, is actually processing emotions so that they're released by the nervous system. But in Northern California, there's this other context. And one of the subtexts of the Moped Outlaws broadcast is this idea that, you know, both Greg and I have early lifetime experience with psychedelic mushrooms. And I'm wondering if in your journey, there was any relationship to psychedelic substances or other substances that might have contributed to the depth and expansion that you were capable of and if you don't feel comfortable answering that's fine (laughs) i do not have any experience with them but i do have some ideas and can we talk about it after we get to the end of my story yes because i think you'll um, understand what i say more at that point okay all right and just did your husband feel challenged by the change happening in your life ever was that (laughs) that's probably something i'd have to ask ask him he might well have done. Um, but it hasn't thing. come but, up overtly where he was like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't the Anne I married. But I was very reactionary, right? I was not necessary. I was probably highly strung, right, is a way that I could put it, right? So things over the years, things have definitely mellowed out, right? Because I think of ourselves as signals. The whole of us is a signal, And we're emitting a signal all the time, right? So, you know, we all know about the law of attraction, I'm sure. I don't talk about it in terms of manifestation so much, but just as a general everyday thing, we're emitting a signal and we're attracting back based on that signal. So if I'm highly strung and I'm reacting to something, that's my signal I'm emitting and I'm going to feel that way again in the future. So I'm going to do things in my life that's going to cause me to feel that way again. But if I'm peaceful, 
I'm going to attract that from other people. I'm going to attract that into my future. So I would say the household calmed down, right? It was, I really wanted to be a peaceful mom. I would see these other mothers at school and they were so calm and peaceful. It's like, I was not that, especially inside, you know, people might've thought looking at me, you know, that I was more peaceful than I was, but I did not feel at all peaceful. And I knew that it changed one day when another mother came up to me and said, I would like to be as peaceful as you. Uh, (laughs) The two women who sort of ignited the fuse, did they remain a part of your life? Like did your, the, the relationship of the three of you transform or was that sort of just a passing experience? (laughs) One of those mothers actually came to some of my EFT classes afterwards. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And she went, she came back the second week and she said, does this work change other people? Because she had gone back that first night, she'd gone home and she'd found a different version of her husband, right? The interactions were so different compared to when she left because she had changed, right? In that hour of tapping, she had changed her signal and she attracted a different part of her husband when she got home. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that was just the first step on my journey. Shall I carry on? When yeah. you discovered tapping and you discovered it through these women, and then you began to transform yourself and as a mother, what else happened? I'll carry on with my story. Yeah. Step two, yeah. 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 I mean, other things happened along the way, right? Life started to improve along the way. And I started to feel like that burden that I'd been carrying was shifting and and releasing. But as I went, I realized what EFT is doing. It's actually opening up the subconscious mind. And in that process, it's expanding our awareness, right? So when I started this journey, I didn't know how I felt, right? Someone could ask me, how are you feeling today, Anne? And I'd say, I don't know. I'm fine, I guess, right? Because I I didn't know how I was feeling. (laughs) But as I tapped more and more, I became more aware of that. And then as I kept going, I became aware of the physical sensations underneath the emotions, right? So we'll talk about a word like frustration, right? That's an emotion, frustration. But what we're really describing is how we're holding tension in our bodies. So I started to become aware at that level, which is a deeper level of awareness. It's closer to the body. And once I became aware of those physical sensations, I was actually in the group at the time. It was a Course in Miracles study group. And the guy would say every week, you don't have to meditate. It's all about feeling your feelings. But I never knew what my feelings were, right? So I I started this journey while I was in this group. I started the tapping. And as the weeks went by and he said this, there it is, Course in Miracles, right? As he said this over and over again, one day I thought, okay, I wonder what it means. What does it mean to feel your feelings? And I decided, okay, I'm going to do it. (laughs) But I didn't know what it was. So I was standing at the kitchen sink one day after <laughs> that story, doing the dishes. And I noticed a thought came up that was for me, probably a fearful thought because most of my thoughts were, and I noticed, okay, this is a fearful thought. So let me see if I can feel that fear. So I would find that fear in my body. Now I couldn't have done this. So if you're listening and you don't have this awareness, you might not understand it, but, but you can get here. Right. So I would feel that fear. And for me, the fear was in the solar plexus or the stomach area. And I noticed if I tried to feel it and I moved, or even if I took a deep breath, it would, I couldn't find it anymore. It would hide because I'd suppressed it. 
for 40, 50 years at this point. So I realized I actually had told myself like a statue and stop breathing right there when I can feel that fear. And then I would talk to it. I would say things like, okay, I can feel this fear. I can feel this tension in my solar plexus. And I just want to feel you. I just want to feel you and acknowledge you and accept you and just allow you to be felt. And then I'd have to take a deep breath at some point. And I would notice there'd be a shift in that fear. It would have diminished slightly or maybe move somewhere else. And so I would think that thought again, feel it again and let it shift. And I would do it over and over again with the same thought until the attachment to the thought had disappeared. And that was huge. Okay, I can now feel my feelings. So I started doing this instead of doing the tapping every day. Now, you said the attachment to the thought. Was the thought ethereal or was it very specific? It was a specific thought. So that's what we're doing with EFT. We're getting specific with an event that happened or something that we're feeling. So the more specific like, we are, the, the faster it works. Yeah. Can you give an example of specific specificity? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, um, I'm afraid of leaving home be because I'm not sure I'm going to come back. That was, a, that was a thought that I recognized I had from being adopted and took a long time to actually connect the two. But okay, I'm afraid of leaving home. That's a specific thought. Yeah. Okay. Right. So as you think the thought, as I would think the thought, I could feel that tension in my solar plexus. And so I would feel it, let it shift. Think the thought, feel it let it shift and at some point it would get to the place that that thought i'm afraid of leaving home no longer has a physical attachment to the body at that point it's free all right now have you experienced that the thought still comes up of i'm afraid of leaving home but it, now it's more of like a fantasy it doesn't have a reality in your life yeah, no, the thought really doesn't come up anymore. It doesn't come up. It's really moved. It's Yeah, real. yeah, and that's one of the things that was so fun to experience, that things really do change, right? And you get new thoughts, right? I think we tune into our thoughts based on our signal. So having new thoughts that you never had before is a really <laughs> fun experience. <laughs> Life's not boring anymore. <laughs> yeah, there is so much more depth to life than I ever knew 15, 20 years ago. And it's really hard to actually explain that to people. <laughs> I actually applied to do a TED talk a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> the guy oh, nice. basically laughed at me. That's not that's not something we talk about in TED talks. <laughs> yeah. The scientific basis of it feels a little bit hard for people to quantify, right? right. People are so so tied up in this idea of materialist science that they can't understand necessarily how the fascia, the connective tissue the subconscious and the emotional body are all interacting through this process. So right. you, you're a very open-minded person, apparently, since you found this journey to be so successful for yourself. Yeah, that, that's, part, <laughs> that's part of the process, right? As I said, we're signals, right? So as, well, let me continue with my story, but bring me back to that. Will you bring me back to that? Okay, so I can't, working with feeling my feelings. So now in the evenings, instead of tapping, I would lay on the sofa and bring collective traumas to mind, right? We all have our own personal experience of a collective trauma. So I would think about something like the Loma Wait, what Prieta. Is, what does collective trauma mean? Like 9-11. Like, right? Let her answer. Like 9-11, 
right? We've all experienced oh, okay, that. Okay, okay. Right? The Loma Prieta earthquake, right? Okay. And that was the year after I moved out to the States. I didn't know if that was big or not. Anyway, so I bring those thoughts to mind, feel all those sensations and allow them to just be and they would release. And I would do that over and over again. And at some point, I noticed that I could keep my awareness inside my body after the tension had released, which was really weird. I'd never heard. I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know what was I didn't know what I was doing, but let me try and explain it to you. So imagine you have a toothache or a stomach ache. You can pinpoint with your mind where that pain is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But once the pain is gone, you can't pinpoint that with your mind. That You can't pinpoint that place inside your body with your mind anymore because there's nothing calling your attention to it. Mm. I found that I could keep my awareness inside my body. So then I started playing. So I've done it once. Can I do it again? And I found I could. And then, well, what can I do now? So I realized I could move my awareness around inside my body. So I would start doing that. And I noticed I could feel tension or no tension. So I would focus on a place that had tension. And I would just hold my awareness there, my attention there. And it would shift. And I'd do it again and again and again. So now I'm doing at a deeper level what I was doing with EFT and the tapping. And then with the feeling and the feelings. Now I'm actually inside the body, releasing tension. I now know it's in the connected tissue. And so I just kept doing that over and over again. And each time, wherever, this comes back to your question, Mark, wherever I was releasing tension, it would always also release in my neck or my face because it's all connected. Right. Right. And that release of the neck allows you to actually look from different perspectives yeah, so as within, so without is absolutely true. That statement is true. So the more you know yourself on the inside, the more you see the depth on the outside, but the more you can move your neck and see on your eyes and see from a different perspective, the more open you are. So I would just keep going with this, and eventually it took many, many months, but eventually I could get my awareness inside my head, which was huge because there was so much pain and the forces I could feel in my head pulling my bones out of alignment were just unbelievable forces. And I had lived with this pain and tension inside my head for 50 years, and I had no awareness that it was in there. So it really showed me how much we keep inside, how much tension we keep inside from our past that we are just not aware of. So I keep no, going. <laughs> You do. Now, I would say possibly, right, someone who is absolutely beautiful and has a very symmetrical body, they probably do not have a lot of tension stored inside them. Possibly. Yeah, I don't know that for sure. People. Say that again? Yeah, because they're lizard people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But this tension is it's pulling us out of alignment. And as we release it, we're actually coming more into alignment, right? So I would just release more and more tension on the inside because I had this tool now. I could focus on the inside and it would release. And at some point I actually heard, because I'm near my ears at this point, I actually heard something release and I felt it release and it felt and sounded like old fabric ripping. And that's when I did some research and realized, okay, it's an adhesion in the connective tissue. I'd released enough tension that it decided to release 
Um, it was a little scary at the time, but I just kept going because I knew I can't be hurting myself if I'm just releasing inattention. And eventually, over a period of time, I could actually feel my bones relax into what I now know is a more aligned position. But at the time, it just felt like deep relaxation of the connective tissue between the bones. And I have now taken x-rays from last year compared to 2013 and can actually see that the bones themselves has shifted. The eye sockets have aligned more than they were. Um, my jaw was way off to the side. It's still not totally centered, but it's way more centered than it was. And my neck was totally, my whole body was twisted, I think, from being born with my foot up against my shin. And it's untwisting now. And my neck is straightening and I have grown half an inch as a 55-year-old. So we're powerful beings. <laughs> so did you notice a lot of localized tension around the jaw? Because the jaw muscle seems to be one of the most potent and powerful areas we hold tension in our body. Huge, huge amount. I actually think it's it, most of it actually starts in the face and the jaw. In childhood, I think it starts in childhood when we when we don't express ourselves, right? We, we think a thought or we want to say something and we hold ourselves back. That tension gets stored inside mm -hmm. of our body. That's my belief. So while I'm hearing all of this, these stories about the discipline and the consistency you had in your practice, I'm, I got curious about things like posture. Were you prone? Were you in a meditative stance? Were you using any of the sort of techniques that we commonly uh, align with things like meditation or, you know, uh, Ayurvedic practices? Well, you know, tapping, when I started tapping, I, you can pretty much tap wherever you are, um, when I was doing the feeling your feelings, I was doing it at the kitchen sink, but then I was doing it lying down. So, and I was doing it, it was easier to do with my eyes closed to begin with. And to begin with, when I was lying down on the sofa, I would fall asleep pretty quickly. But as the days and weeks went by, it became easier to stay awake and I became very focused and very present. So, you know, someone probably would have, it would have looked like I was doing some form of meditation now that I believe, I believe this work is actually opening the inner eye, right? Because I can actually see inside. Now I can do it anywhere. I can do it with my eyes open, with my eyes closed. I can do it when I'm walking. I can't do it when I'm talking, but I can pretty much do it any other time. Did you have to send your kids off to boarding school to get this kind of time alone? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> um, have you had like the doctor who did the most recent x-ray, have they chimed in about the comparison and sort of has it piqued their curiosity of what's going on? Not at this point. He's an orthodontist, so he's really only interested in the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but the x-ray technician was pretty impressed. So, And I'd actually like to have another one done now because I know so much has changed since last year. I mean, I'm releasing at the level of the bones now. I'm focusing on the bones. And you can you can tell it feels denser, right? As it releases, it feels like really tight old fabric ripping. Did you get really curious about things like um, anatomy and musculature and those things so that when you were using your visualization process that you were able to create a picture that was more... Um, aligned with what we now know about the structure of the, the head and the neck and the shoulders and all of the various musculars? I have certainly done a lot of research on the skull because I'm really interested to know where I'm going, but I'm not, 
I'm not visualizing. I'm feeling. I'm sensing. And that, you know, it took a while to really even try and put that in words. But I'm not thinking. I'm feeling. Yeah. So I, I know that I'm, I'm, so I'm sensing in the body and I'm not really, you know, the connected tissue goes through everything, right? So I can put my awareness inside something like my stomach or where the kidneys are or the liver is. And I don't feel any difference, right? I know I'm there because I can sense there, but it doesn't feel any different from any other place where it's just flesh or organ so that's really hard to put in words but yeah um the connective tissue is through everything i mean i did some research on the connective tissue for sure because i believe i'm sensing through the soul i believe the soul resides comes in through somewhere in the center of my head because that's where i'm looking from and i'm sensing through the connective tissue i think that's where the soul resides from the fascia is the thing that's like all over the body and it's all one thing. And that there's this area around the depth of our skin where there's all this interconnected fascia. And so I'm, I'm imagining that as, as one aspect of the quote connective tissue that you're talking about. But from my understanding, fascia doesn't actually go into areas like, well, into this deep, into the abdominal cavity around the kidneys, right? uh, That's not my picture, but I'm curious whether you think the early youth experience of being so shocked and fearful by the fire licking at your door, had you increased this level of capacity to place your conscious awareness somewhere? Do you think that that kind of made you more vigilant around perception and that therefore you amped up your capacity to place your attention places? I think the traumas pull us more out of alignment. And so, you know, they almost pull us one direction. And so when we flip back, we have the capacity to go further in the other direction. That's what I think it is. Some people who don't, I mean, my husband doesn't, he hardly had any trauma in his lifetime, in his, in his childhood. So he really doesn't have much interest in doing this work. But I do think people who've had a lot of trauma, you know, they know what hell is like. and They, they want to get out of it. But not all of them do. My, my brother, my brother actually became alcoholic, right? He started drinking and smoking just like my parents did and just kept going down that. And he's already died in his early fifties. So it doesn't mean we're going to do that work, but I do think we have that capacity. Does your husband have a really balanced facial symmetry? Interesting question. He does quite not perfect, but (laughs) yeah, he certainly could do some of the work, but there's just not much interest there. Right, but it but inherently his lack of stress, his lower level of trauma seems to have manifested in his physical expression as as more symmetry. Yes. Interesting. Why does my third eye itch? Like I have an itch right here. Third eye is right between the eyebrows. Oh well then this is something right else. Something there. else. <laughs> That's your <laughs> unicorn horn. That's it. <laughs> have you has your husband and or children shown an interest in what you're doing? No. no. None of them? 
No, no. Like, <laughs> they certainly mind. benefited, you know, as I said, because yeah. things yeah. have been calmer. It's been easier to let my boys do what they want to do, right, yeah. rather than try and control them or get too emotionally in- attached to what they're doing. Yeah, I got to say there's an element of, of being a parent. My eldest daughter leaves Monday for Bali and Cambodia and due to circumstances, she's going by herself. So she's got about five weeks of traveling in this area by herself. And, and, right, right. and what I just noticed this morning is I thought, why don't I start imagining the positive potentials? And it transformed my energy around this trip. I thought, well, that's going to be more supportive than thinking of all the negatives. (laughs) Now, that's a really interesting thing, right? Because from my whole experience, my whole path has been about fully accepting whatever it is we're feeling, right? So when we try and think positively, that the word try, when we put the try in there, when we try and think positively, we're actually suppressing the actual feeling that we're having, and it doesn't go anywhere, it stays in the body, right? So if it was me, I would tap on, oh my God, I'm actually afraid of what's going to happen, right? I'd be specific, I'm afraid. Right. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm afraid that this is going to happen. Or well, I can put words happen. in my mouth. I'm afraid she's <laughs> going to be kidnapped into white slavery. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. See, that's very specific. Yeah. And I would tap. And when you tap on that specific phrase, you keep tapping until the relief is there. And you know the relief is there when you can just say it and there's no emotion in your voice anymore, mm-hmm. right? It just sounds you, like a reading from a book. When you say say it, you mean actually verbalize it, enunciate it. With right. The I'm afraid my daughter is going to get So it's not enough to kidnapped. say it in the mind's voice. It's more powerful to say it with the voice, right? It's, it's using more of that connective tissue, right? You're actually getting down that neural pathway that has been playing in Greg's mind. But it's also engaging the polyvagal system through the breath. Yes. Huh. Yes. So it's more connected in the body. Yep. The other thing uh, you said there's a step three. Are we ready? Like for that, the step three, three was going into the body. That's yeah. Okay. Right. Deep inside the body. So Which, and the that's the part I've not heard of before. I, 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 I do believe people have done it in the past. I think that's the original meaning of the word insight. And that's kind of why I'm sharing my story because I didn't know it was possible. I have a question. Um, you mentioned the physical evidence of your skeletal change. Were there habits that also changed, such as dietary habits or, you know, things that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, over the years, over my more my 20s and 30s, I did a lot of dietary changes because I think I was really searching for something and was looking outside of myself at that point and making all these changes and nothing really lasted. But that's almost a form of control, right? And I, I liked to have control over something because I didn't have much control in my childhood. So it felt good to have control. So that was, that was something I tapped on quite a lot, right? I, I really like to have control, but I know it doesn't help in a lot of ways. So I would let that go. And as I let that go, I let a lot of those dietary things go. Right. So I was vegan. I was vegetarian. I did live foods. I did macrobiotics. I did many, many different things. But right now I I try and eat organic and I eat whole foods. But other than that, um, I pretty much let a lot of that control go. 
you have a practice around this, right? Like one of the things that you're doing with your life now is that you're broadening it to include other people and being of service. Is that correct? A little bit. I'm really more sharing the story. I do work with a few people, but I'm sh- I did it all myself, right? We we can heal ourselves. We can do so much ourselves without having to pay someone else, right? So I'm sharing that story. I've got YouTube videos so people can learn how to do EFT themselves. They can feel their feelings themselves. There's a video on there for that. And my book shares the whole story of what I what I did, the steps that I went through, so someone else can take it up and do it themselves. Did you ever question your sanity as you were at the beginning of all this? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, I did go through some pretty dark places, right? I, I do believe all those tears that we never shed in childhood is still stuck inside. So I shed a lot of tears. You know, went to through some dark places. I had a lot of depression in my childhood years. So I did a lot of tapping. Once Eventually, I got to the place that I could tap on. I hate myself. And I tapped on that for probably, I don't know, a couple of hours over a period of days or weeks wow. and got to the place that it's just, they're just words, right? There's no connection, attachment to those words anymore. And so just let that go. Yeah, I can feel the weight of those words in my body. That's hmm. interesting. <laughs> I think this is an important thing for our audience to, to sort of check in with. We have available to us this deeper sense of our experience and who we are and what, and what it feels like. And I mean that somatically to be here. And we are constantly distracted by the conditioning and the context in which Western civilization functions. And we live at such a high pace that, you know, one of the things that struck me Anne, about your story is the way that you set aside time. I joked about it before, but you created time for you to be in this place where you were able to in, uh, put your insight to use, right? And the practice of checking in with ourselves and naming the fears and localizing the emotions to a specific part in our body is part of another practice that I've been involved in. And I think it's really utilitarian. And so this is a vector of my experience of seeing the value of that, of being connected to ourselves and then that the place of healing comes from not knowledge so much, but um, awareness, right? Because it's not just in the head, right? It's this sensation, intellect, emotional body, all intersecting. Right. And one of the things, you know, I think maybe when I started out, it felt like it was almost a chore. Maybe I don't think so, because I knew after that first experience how powerful it was. But the thing people don't realize is that it actually feels good. And it gets, it gets easier and it feels good. It feels really, really good to release tension that has been stored in the body for decades, right? How could it not feel good? So it gets easier and easier to do. And as you go along the path, life changes, right? That burden. I remember feeling so heavy in my 20s and 30s. And it's like, I don't feel that way anymore. And it feels really nice. Right. And things change around you. Serendipities start happening. Um, you become more balanced. Right. I'm more balanced on the inside. So I'm more balanced on the outside. And, you know, one of the things that I love is that having released so much tension in my head, I've got a lot more to go because my face is nowhere near symmetrical. But I do believe that our skull is our echo chamber for our voice. So my voice has changed. Right. There was some notes that I couldn't sing before that I can now sing 
right? Which is kind of fun because all that tension inside my head is letting go. So the voice comes out differently through that body. But the other part of it is actually the depth, right? So because I know myself at a deep level, I can see in other people, I can see how deep they're breathing, right? And that that shows how much they're telling the truth or how much they're hiding from themselves. I can recognize energy. It's like I can see things that are replaying from my past, replaying outside of me because it's just easy to do that because I can see that inside of me. Have you found that you're a more creative being? And I mean that specifically because I think we're all creative. But did you find that you were productively more creative as you healed more and more? Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. I'm not, I'm not sure I am. Um, but, uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, years ago, I I'm, I'm have been an artist, one of the things I, I do, I used to do black and white portraits, right? Pencil portraits, extremely detailed pencil portraits, right? And I don't know if you can see these paintings behind me now, but they're, <laughs> they're much more free flowing and they're full of color. So that has certainly changed. I can feel into colors now. I actually feel a repulsion from white, which sounds such a weird thing to say, but I mean, it, it's almost an You're energetic. <laughs> okay, it's almost an energetic repulsion from white, and people use white so much now, right? But to me, blue just feels so relaxing. So I pretty much only wear blue these days, and my car's blue, and everyone knows that I love blue. <laughs> it seems that you actually end up with more time in your life as you let go of control in your life. Absolutely. And totally more present, more at peace with whatever happens, which is, yeah, it's really nice because this is not how I used to be. Yeah. Cause I have a tape in me that still says, you know, get control of your life and you'll have more time and you'll be in charge. And, and it's so prevalent. Like yeah. that's what I would tap on. I would tap on those words. Yeah. Get control of your life. Cause that's the voice that's saying to you. It's probably programmed in you from childhood somewhere. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it replays. It's a program that replays. So you would tap with those words over and over until you can feel that, that it's no longer attached to you. Oh, there's a part of me that's like, Ooh, that's going to be a, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see. So let's get back to the mushrooms. Okay. Yeah. So, as I said, I think the soul comes in. It could be through the pineal gland. I just know I'm looking from the center of my head and I'm looking throughout my body. So I think this work, right? So I'm releasing tension that's stored in the connective tissue. I think that is releasing the adhesions that is how the, the ego manifests and it's making the soul more comfortable in the body. And I think once the soul is comfortable in the body, it's likely to stay in the body longer. I don't know that, obviously, but I suspect that's the case. And I suspect that the mushrooms or any substances are actually making the soul uncomfortable in the body so that it actually kind of leaves, partially leaves the body because it's so uncomfortable. And that's why those experiences happen because they're outside the body, they're in the mind, or but they're not actually physically in the body. So I think it's almost 
the opposite of this work, which brings you right into the body, very comfortable, very present. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see how that would work. My it's question. Been, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, well, I was going to say, and since we're all familiar with Course in Miracles and the shamanistic practices, that perhaps the element of hallucinogenics is it's a cornerstone upon which one can build. There's more to the physical. There's more to life than strictly the five senses. And then once that doors opened up to potential, then one is more apt to look at that inner sight. Right. Unless people keep trying to escape from it, right? Right. If you can use it for knowledge and understanding and then come back to this life and and do more in this life, I, I can see. But I think some people keep trying to get back to that. And I I think that's probably more like what we experience when we actually leave the physical body. Yeah. The danger for people is that they, there might be something of a helper spirit in the plant medicine that is iterative, creative, generative, but the story becomes, I need that in order to be X, Y, Z. And I think what's inherent in a lot of yogic practices, a lot of really higher level you know, embodiment practices and in somewhat what I'm seeing in your story, Anne, is this this awareness that we are such miracles as we are and everything we need is right here. If we can get close to it, if we can connect to it, if we can have a relationship with our bodies, with our nervous systems, with our thoughts. And then I'm curious, this idea of soul, right? I think every one of us, is totally re- ready to say, yeah, soul. And they have, we have this idea, but I'm not sure everyone's idea of soul intersects the same way. And you talk about it coming through and you pointed to the top of your head and you, you mentioned the oh. pineal gland, right. And the inside, right. All of this stuff. And, um, what I'm, what I'm wanting to ask is what is your spiritual context is there something in your history that's a thread that brings you to the now that is relatable to what we might call a religious practice or a spiritual context and how would you describe that for yourself (laughs) i don't know that i really have anything no i had my experience right of being able to sense inside and sensing through the connective tissue and i tried to add words to it that we know in as a culture, right? So I brought those words, the words soul and spirit to my understanding. I tried to connect the two and I actually had um, a pastor read my chapter about that in my book. And he confirmed with me that he believed that was along the lines of how he learned it through Christian practice. But so the words are so amorphic. Were your parents Christians? Were your parents Christians? Yes, Church of England. Yeah, and I had to go to I had to go to church when I was at boarding school. I, but I never. But that was um, another form of uh, trauma. <laughs> yes, I hated right? it. Yeah. Yes, and so your experience of the Jesus story has this context with it that is traumatic, right? It probably did. Now I look at it, uh, you know, from a different point of view. I try and understand, but everything's you, been changed so much over the years. And <laughs> but so you know, one hearing, of the 
one of the really interesting things about the Bible, it talks about stiff necked people. Right. Who would have thought it like it's mentioned there between 10 and 20 times in the Bible, right? Who would have thought that? I don't even know why I looked that up. Stiff-necked fools is the, the term I think they, they, they mentioned. Yeah. But in your life, in your biography, there was no context that you claimed as a spiritual name for a religious practice. You didn't claim Buddhism. You didn't claim Christ, Christendom. You didn't claim Hinduism. None of those isms became something you identified with. Correct. Yes. Just my Would own journey, and I try and connect Hinduism. it. Do you feel like the what is referred to as the goddess religions or the Gaia, the earth spirits, do you think that there's an affinity for you in that, in that naming or not? No, no, I, no. I, I search for, uh, you know, connections to my experience and don't find too many. So if I'm hearing you right, there's a spiritual awareness, a soulful experience happening, and it's happening without the context or the dogma of any of what we normally consider those kinds of experiences. Is that true for you? Correct. Yes. I mean, I, I suspect some of the ancient teachers, perhaps Jesus and Buddha, were able to do this too. It was part of their journey. But obviously, I don't know that for sure. When, and what I'm sensing is you don't feel any need to identify with any aspect of it or to try and bring some kind of conscious awareness or naming of it as in order to have the experience. You're just happy to be connected to whatever it is. Right. Yes. It's just my experience. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Let me, let me, if we got a moment, let me, sh I don't know how your timing is. How do we have a couple of minutes? Yeah, we can go for as yeah. long as we want. We were on 90 minutes one time. Okay. So let me share. We talked about the depth of life and awareness so before COVID, I, I used to have a group and we would tap each week. I mentioned it earlier. And at the beginning of the group, we would sit in a semicircle and I would play a series of chimes, just chakra chimes, like seven notes or something. And we would sit and with our eyes closed and just experience those chimes. And then we would open our eyes and we would share our experience. And some of the people would only hear the chimes with their ears. Now that's kind of obvious, right? We all think that would be what people do they hear the chimes with their ears but there would be other people who would feel the sound vibrations in different places in their body and at the other end of the spectrum would be people who would feel those sound vibrations throughout their body right so that is a spectrum of awareness and once we share that information right the people who only hear it with their ears they now know there is a depth of experience that they have not yet experienced but they can see there are other people who experience something differently. And then the people who can experience in a deeper level, they can see there's people out there who really only hear the words and that's their experience. Right. And we can see that in society, right. These days, right. We know the people, they hear something and they totally believe it's true just from the words. And there are other people who hear the words, but they feel what's going on with those words they have a deeper level of experience and a deeper experience of life, right? Because if you're hearing a conversation with someone and you're feeling those words and those vibrations inside your body, 
you're actually having a deeper experience of life than someone who only hears the words. Yeah. Is tapping still an active part of your weekly practice, daily practice? Weekly, I have a group that, that taps once a week, but yeah, and when I tap with other people, I tap, but otherwise, no, I, I'm, I'm working inside my body multiple you, times a day. Do you ever come up against the emotion of frustration of with the world or life where you're like, here's this wonderful, happy way to be, and you're all so stuck. <laughs> you're all climbing the walls of the Capitol and invading the White House. And- if I did, that would be my frustration, and I would tap on that. So, yes, we have been starting to have the January the 6th um, right. committee panel Um, And I did actually tap through that last night and I suggested on Facebook, (laughs) everyone who knows how to tap, tap through it. Because if we can let our emotions go and come back to peace, even while we're looking at that, then that's our signal we're emitting and we're attracting peace into our future rather than all that fear and frustration. Yes, I always bring it back to me. If I'm looking at someone else who's angry or I don't like something they're doing. That's my, that's my feeling about what's happening outside. So I can always work on that. Yeah. I resonate strongly with that. That that's something I term radical responsibility. Uh, Mm, Nice. Yeah. Because we want to blame other people so much, right? It's that politician or it's that country. It's like, well, if we're feeling frustrated with that politician, I can tap on I'm frustrated with that politician. Well, when we blame, we lose the locus of um, agency, right? It's no longer within our power to shift or change. And what you do, what the way you've described this is very empowering, very generative of people's volition. You can just bring it all back into your own sphere of influence and then alchemize it. Absolutely. Yeah, we have so much more control than we think we do. And you're right, we are alchemizing it. We're, we're, trans, we're transmuting that energy, letting it out of our body. And then the important part is then that's our signal. So we're attracting whatever we're feeling into our future. So if we're sitting there watching those things and we're so angry and so frustrated, we're going to get that anger and that frustration back into our future. And I would rather not do that. I'd like to bring <laughs> peace into my future. There was a distinction you made early in this conversation between trying and allowing yeah. And I love that distinction. Well, one of the fun things to really experience is having those positive thoughts just arise on their own. I hadn't experienced that before until I started doing enough tapping and compassion and understanding arises too. And those positive thoughts just arise. So you don't actually have to try, right? Once you get to that point, you're not trying, they're just there. But if you're actually trying to do it, then yeah, you're suppressing the actual thought. What I noticed from my experience this morning is I had an awareness that I was imagining scenarios. And so I thought, well, if I'm imagining scenarios, then I have the capability of imagining different scenarios. And I, so as we're talking, the three of us, I realized there is still the energy of the negative there for me to look at and be with and heal Right, because wouldn't it be nice if that thought didn't actually come? Wasn't up? present, right? Yeah. Right, and it's nice to have the experience in my body of oh, here's a positive imagining, and feel that 
lightness of energy and that support in her life. Right. And then that's the signal you're emitting, right? Which feels much better. So your future has that in it. Right. And I could say, honestly, right now, there's a a conflict of energies because the negative is still there. So I'll be working with that. Yeah. And and a lot of time we suppress it. We actually don't realize we don't know it's still there. We think it's gone. Right. Right. I mean, my experience with that force in my skull, it's like, no, it's it's still there. I'm just not aware of it yet. So (laughs) are you familiar with the Pollyanna story and that Disney movie, Pollyanna? Not really. Well, real quickly, it was positive thinking. This young girl just thought positively about everything. And what just hearing you talk just now, what I realized the um, argument about that, I think, is that there is a propensity or potential of burying the negative with this very surface, happy, joy, joy thing and you're right it is surface and and if if that negative is inside of us and we're trying to to say positive things we're actually not seeing that part of us we don't want to see that part of us so then we don't breathe fully into us so we actually sound different our signals different and that's why people pick up on it because they know that's that's not your truth you're not saying your truth yeah right yeah so and you, you've got experience where this tapping technique allows one to truly move through that negative emotion and energy, heal it, and as you and Mark said, transform it. Or what was the word? Transmute. Transmute. No, there was another one about oh. alchemy. Alchemize. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a hermetic tradition that talks about how the multiplanes of existence are all mental. And that with the use of our own awareness, we can attune to the kinds of transmutation and alchemization of these energies with our desire to do so. And so there's no need for you to be living in your traumas from the past. There's no need for you to allow the fears that might come up to get to carry you away and to spiral you into more and more of that energy. And so the gift, the gateway is the conscious awareness that it's up to you, that you have the opportunity. And this method, this tapping, and then this going inside, as you described it, and they're available to all of us for free. And it's just simply a matter of taking the time and making the, the point of finding alone time or the, the whatever you need. You know, behind me, you see my space. This is my sacred space, right? And so you can create, like you were saying, sacred space anywhere, right? Sometimes it's a little more difficult, right? But the ultimate thing that I'm connecting to here is the power of personal responsibility to shift whatever it is. And we don't have to live in our stories about our traumas and we don't have to allow the traumas to remain embodied and that we have a gateway to freedom that's inherent in our legacy. It's the, the miracle of life. And it's right. There's two ways of, of sitting in that place, right? I mean, I know years ago, if I had heard what you just said, I might think I could just decide, okay, I'm not going to live in my trauma anymore. And I'm just going to almost think positively, right? And I'm going to be different. But we can't just decide to do it because it lives physically in our body, right? So we, so we, 
we, I mean, we can decide to, okay, I'm going to do something like EFT and actually release it from the body. It's just not a mental concept to make yeah, that decision. Exactly. You can't just, you can't just make that decision and have it happen. You actually have to do the work. You have to go inside and feel it and allow that stuck energy out. And then you can sit in that place of, of having done that work. Yeah. 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 Take action, have the intention, take the action and then allow the part of you that's identified with it to disperse. Cause it's not who you really are. It's not who I really am. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to touch upon that has not been brought up? I don't know. That was good. We did a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Want to advertise your book? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My book is called A Pathway to Insight because it's probably not the only pathway. There may be others, but it is a pathway to insight. All right. I just want to express my gratitude for the initiative you took to reach out to us. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I can feel the benefits of this resonating into my future path. And so thank you for this moment and thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Thank you. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Recording stopped.